Well, it's good to be with you guys again this weekend. <clears throat> and I'll just say this, I've been doing this for 40 years now. And in 40 years, I have never had to start uh, a service this way, but because of things that have happened this past week and things that have popped up on social media uh, regarding hope, I need to start a little differently. And I just want you to know that uh, what I'm gonna share with you, I am not trying to win an argument. Um, I was gonna say I'm not kind of trying to defend hope, but I probably am. But what I want you to understand over the next few minutes is, is just the flow of events that have happened, a situation uh, over the past few months, where it came from. And honestly, I, 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 uh, I hope more than anything it can start a healing process. 2015, a report of sexual uh, misconduct was brought to the attention of the leaders here at Hope. Uh, the young woman that came forward, she was a Hope employee. Her complaint uh, was against a young man. Uh, he was a contract musician in our band. What I mean by that is he's not a staff person, uh, but these band members, they have real jobs during the week and we pay them extra to help us with our worship on the weekend. He fell into that category. Uh, I wanna point out that both of these individuals were adults. Uh, this happened in the context of a person, personal encounter outside of hope. This is something that happened on their own personal time. And uh, when the misconduct was initially reported to leadership, um, when the young lady came forward, the young woman, the allegations made against the young man were not understood to be what they were revealed to be later on. But because of the allegations, because of the situation, we immediately removed uh, this young man from his role uh, as a musician in the band. Uh, we also encouraged the young woman, based on what she shared with us, to file a police report uh, she did not desire to do so at that time. We understand when individuals have gone through assault like that, that's not something that they, they normally want to do or look forward to do, so she did not do that. But what was shared with us, based on what she shared with us uh, in leadership, uh, as a church, we did what we could do. We put a plan together to move toward healing and toward restoration. Uh, Galatians chapter six, verse one, that's what the church is supposed to do. It's, it's called us to restore people uh, who are hurting. And so we put together a, a, five man, a five month plan for both of these individuals that it included pastoral care. Uh, it included counseling outside of Hope Community Church with counselors in the community. We felt like they needed the safe zone to be able to do that. <clears throat> so that's what we set out to do. At the end of this five month period, uh, the young man did exactly what we asked him to do. He followed through on everything we asked him. Uh, he was allowed to resume his role as a contract musician. Uh, when the young woman discovered that uh, he had been put back into his role, uh, she was very upset. She revealed to some leaders at church uh, further details regarding the event that had happened months earlier. Uh, as a result of hearing those further details, we immediately pulled the musician from the rotation. Uh, he, on his own, left Hope Community Church. Um, again, we came alongside this young woman and encouraged her to go to the authorities to file charges. This time, she did. Um, as I, I want you to know, a detective came to the church. I want you to know that the church cooperated fully with law enforcement. Uh, we turned over any notes we had, any files that we had regarding the event. For reasons unknown to us, we're not involved with those things and we don't have a say, the event was not prosecuted. Uh, about a month after that, the young woman chose to end her employment at Hope Community Church. And uh, I actually was able to have an exit interview with her. Uh, she actually invited one of the young ladies on staff to come just to be kind of support to her. And 
I, I actually felt that we were, we were in a good place. Uh, I knew she was leaving. Uh, it seemed like the right decision for her. It seemed, like, it seemed like that she was in a good place. I will say a few months later, she posted something on social media that did not accurately uh, project what took place in that meeting with me. But the young lady that came with her to encourage her also posted, like, you know that's not exactly how it went down. In fact, it didn't go down like that at all. And that was kind of the end of it. I just let it go. I realized she, she was hurting. Not long after that, I happened to be walking through a store and I came around a corner and as she came around a corner, our eyes met. And immediately she teared up and I said, what's wrong? She says, I'm sorry that I did that. And I knew what she was referring to. I said, it's not a big deal. It's over, it's past. I said, you know what I'd love? I'd love to see you back at Hope Community Church. You need Hope Community Church in your life. And it happened to be right around Christmas Eve services. I said, will you come? And she says, I'm, I'm gonna try to come. And the reason I'm telling you this is because it got a little misstrewed because a few days later or weeks later, I'm not sure exactly when. Actually, when I came back from that event, I came back to the office, I told my admin how excited I was. I ran into this young woman. Uh, it was so cool to see her. She's gonna come back and visit church. And I guess a few days later or weeks, I'm not really sure when it was, she called and said she needed five minutes of my time uh, to ask for forgiveness. And my assistant said, oh, he's, you don't need to do that. He's already forgiven you. And uh, somehow that got misconstrued on social media that, uh, I was forgiving her for their role in the, in the sexual assault case, which that was, had nothing to do with that. It was all in relations to the post, but it just got overblown. So we thought we were okay, but based on social media posts, we now know that's not the case. And honestly, looking back, uh, I have no doubt that here at Hope, those in leadership here, and I'll just say I wasn't really involved in the process. We have people that are far more capable than me to take people through this process. I have no doubt that we handled everything legally. Uh, I have no doubt that we handled everything by the book. But I do wish, looking back, that maybe we would have handled things a little more effectively um, on a personal level. Um, I think one of the areas we dropped the ball is we should have informed her that this young man, now that he had finished the process, that he would be, he would be back on stage. We could have handled that much better. Uh, she was part of a family. The whole family attended our church. Uh, we loved that family. Um, we missed that family. I would love to see that family be back a part of Hope Community Church. I'll just tell you, I'm an optimist. Um, I'm still kind of hoping that that relationship can be healed, and I, I'm praying to that end. But that's the event that has kind of been blown up into what, what's going on on social media. Now, I just wanna say something. This is not the first time that we've had to deal with these kinds of situations here at Hope. I think you understand that. A church that has 15, 20,000 people over 25 years, all the thousands of people that have come and gone, uh, stuff is going to happen. Uh, unfortunately, we, we live in a broken world. There's a lot of hurt in our world and stuff is going to happen. And just because a church, we're a church, it doesn't mean that we're immune to these kinds of events. And if something like this happens and it's, it's related directly to Hope Community Church, I want you to understand we are required by law to report that to law enforcement, and we do. Uh, we have always and we always will cooperate with authorities. We actually have an incredible reputation with law enforcement in the community because we do so readily cooperate. On top of that, several of our pastors serve as chaplains for some of the different agencies. But understand, this event did not fall into that category. This was two adults in their own private world on their own time outside of Hope Community Church. So that's the first event. I just want you to understand the details. The, the other event uh, really just came out of the blue this week when it was read to me. 
It had to do <clears throat> with Grace School. Uh, a lot of people may not know this. Grace and I, Grace and Hope, we are not connected at all. We're two separate organizations. They have nothing to do with hope. We have nothing to do with them. You say, well, why are we in the parking lot together? It's because the man who gave us this property, his grandchildren went to Grace. So he wanted to bless hope and he wanted to bless Grace. And so literally this property is divided right down the middle. He gave them half so they could build their building. He gave us half so we could build our building and we developed the parking lot together. That's all that we have in common with each other. But evidently a young lady posted that uh, when she was a senior, high, senior in high school at Grace, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, uh, she was a cheerleader, she stayed after school. In the gym, she was assaulted um, sexually by a janitor. She gave, a, I think, a fictitious name. Uh, in the story, she said, she really didn't mention if anything happened as far as telling Grace, but she said that her parents called an employee of Hope and this was a lady, they named a lady in the account. She was on staff at that time. She has since moved out of state with her family. But they said they called this woman and asked her what they should do about this, this assault. Our, the lady on staff said, you should go see Pastor Mike. Uh, now I'm gonna leave that right there for a second. Uh, since they gave us the name, we called the lady on staff, formerly on staff, asked her about this event, someone talking to them. She said, I have no idea what you're talking about. We went to the principal who was principal of Grace during that time. He had no idea what we were talking about. Uh, we went to the headmaster who's presently over Grace. He had no idea. Since she had been a cheerleader, we went to the cheerleading coach. She had no idea what we were talking about. But in the post, it said that the parents asked the lady who worked for Hope what they should do about it. Uh, they said she told them to go see Pastor Mike. They came to see me. My response to them and their daughter being assaulted was, it's probably because she dresses so provocatively and we kicked him out of the church. Uh, there's a lot of things in life that I can't be 100% certain of, but I can assure you with 100% confidence that that never happened. I think you probably know me better than that. Now, let me just say that. I, I'm not saying that this assault did not happen at Grace. I'm just saying that we have not been able to track down any of these details. And if it did take place, I think I speak for hope and grace when I say both of us as organizations, if that truly happened, we would want that individual not only apprehended, we would want that individual prosecuted to the full extent of the law, regardless of who he worked for or whatever. And so if you know anything about a detail about that event, if you would come forward, if you would let us know, uh, we will walk that event with you. But that's one of the things that was posted on social media. Now, having said all of that, um, as big as hope is, I realize that there, there are gonna be times when people, even you, uh, go through things and it's like your world's crumbling. And we don't always have the, the relationships and the connections that, that we should have or maybe we can have in a smaller church. And you don't necessarily always get uh, maybe supported and loved as, as you need to be loved. I'm gonna be honest, I hate that about a big church. But you know what? I believe that God expects better from us. So what I will do is I will give you my word that we are going to work harder than ever to make sure that hope continues to be a place where people can run to when they are hurting. It's why our mission statement begins with love people where they are. But I'm gonna tell you, that's a great thing to say. But if you truly love people where they are, sometimes, sometimes it gets messy. 
But I think those of you that make up Hope Community Church, you wouldn't have it any other way. So let me just tell you, uh, we live, we live in a, a very broken, hurting world. And I would just ask all of us to continue to pray for all of these parties that are involved. Uh, that healing would take place. I would ask as a church that we continue to take the high road and we just continue to love people where they are. Father, we, this is out of our control. The number of times that I have quoted, God is my refuge, a very ever-present help in the time of trouble. I will not fear. So we run to you right now as we learn through our worship. Not just when things are great, but especially when things are tough. But God, you will protect us. I believe that with all my heart. But God, this is, going, this is going on because there's a lot of hurt in our world. And so we would just ask that you would, you would intercede in a supernatural way and bring healing. And even now, we're gonna give you the glory for what you're going to do and how you're gonna turn graves into, into gardens because we believe you do that. In your name we pray, amen. Okay. Um, can we just go home? You guys on TV, go do something else. Uh, we'll, no. Um, this is the, fir- uh, it's the fourth week of our series, Future Tense. And we are learning what the Bible says about the future, and we're doing it because there is a lot of fear about the future, a lot of anxiety. We've talked about that. And so far, we've learned that one day Jesus is going to return to this earth. We know that. The Bible says so. We know that there are going to be judgments. We know that after those judgments, every person that's ever lived is going to be assigned for all eternity to one place or the other, either heaven or hell. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about heaven. You guys were all jacked up about that. Last week, I talked about hell. You were nowhere near as excited about that. This week, we're going to call... We're gonna address what I just call a really, really tough question. I think it's probably one of the most asked questions when it comes to God, and it's simply this. How could a loving God send someone to hell? And I think one of the really big challenges we face as Christians is that we often, and I said this before, we often try to answer a theological or a biblical question with human logic. So let me me just give you some advice. Don't ever, ever try to answer a biblical question without the Bible. Because the Bible actually has the answer to all of, these, all of these questions. But see, instead of just consulting the Bible, you know what we do? We get in our groups and, and we argue and, and, and we, we, we talk about things and we apply all of our human logic and we get all emotional and we talk about our feelings. I'm telling you, that doesn't help us when we're trying to answer a biblical question. A biblical question, a theological question, it's gonna require a biblical answer. I mean, think about it. Do you really want to stake your whole eternity on what I think? Do you wanna stake your entire eternity on what you think or how you feel or what you think is fair? No, no, what you, you wanna know what does the Bible have to say? So if you brought a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter one. Uh, let's see how the Bible answers that question. Would a loving God send someone to hell? I'm gonna give you a couple of principles. It's gonna be a very simple message. The first one, then we'll unpack it, is this. You need to understand that God is a just God. So as we think about answering this question, understand this principle, God is a just God. Let me read from Jeremiah chapter nine, verse 23. It says this, thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast of his might, let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises, here's the words, loving kindness, there's our word, justice and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So my point is, God is a just God. 
God. And what I mean by that is this. God will never give an unjust judgment to any person. Let me say that again. Because God is a just God, God will never give an unjust judgment to any person. And this actually brings up another question that we have to answer before we answer that first question. It's this, would God send someone to hell who's never heard the gospel? Would he do that? I mean, this is what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse six. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You wanna get to the Father? You gotta go through me. What was he saying? It's because of my death, my burial, my resurrection, that you now have an opportunity to be reconciled and restored back into a relationship with God. That is the only way, that is the gospel. So go back to the question. Would God send someone to hell who has never heard the gospel? I mean, if Jesus is the only way, if he is the only truth, if Jesus is the only life, well, what about the pygmies I talked about in the Central African Republic who've never heard the gospel? They've never heard the name of Jesus. How about people that live before Jesus? How about babies who don't understand? They, they never get to the age where they understand the gospel. Would God send someone like that to hell? Well, again, we gotta go back to the biblical principle. God is a just God. God will never, ever give an unjust judgment to any person. Now, let's think about that. Romans chapter one, if you have your Bible, let me give you the context. Paul is talking about the overall spiritual condition of mankind, and this is what he says in Romans chapter one, verse 16. He's, he's like, let's begin with the good news. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Literally, the Greek word for gospel means good news. That's what it means. I am not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ because it is the power, it's the Greek word dunamos. We get our word dynamite from it. It is the power of God that brings salvation to who? Everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. <clears throat> For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. And then he quotes Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous will live by faith. And then when you get to verse 18, it's as if Paul changes directions. And he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. By the way, when Paul wrote this in the Greek, he had two different words at his disposal that he could use to describe the wrath of God. The first one was thumos. We get our word thermometer from it. It means to breathe violently, to pant with a temper. It means anger. It's this idea of a sudden burst of rage, a sudden burst of anger. Ever had that happen? Ever experienced that? That's not the word Paul uses. Paul uses the other word. It's orge. It means God's holy aversion to all that is evil. So it's not a burst of rage, it's not a burst of anger, it's a sustained, constant condition. You know what it is? It's God's character. It's who he is, it's his, his, it's his DNA. In other words, God being righteous, he just naturally has an aversion to anything that's evil. It's like oil and water, it just doesn't go together. But look again at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against two against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Now this is a key phrase, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. This, this word suppress, it means to hold back, it means, it means to restrain. And in this context, it's the idea that you see the evidence of God, you weigh the evidence of God, but after seeing the evidence and weighing the evidence, you ignore the evidence. It's almost like, hey, don't confuse me with the facts, okay? So understand, this is the person who hears examines all of the evidence of God, all the evidence of the Bible, all the evidence of creation, and then deliberately rejects God. I don't want it, I don't need it. And Paul says from God's perspective, that person is considered wicked. That person is considered godless. And he tells us why mankind is in this condition in verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. In other words, it's obvious to them because God has made it plain or God has made it obvious to them. He's talking about made it obvious to mankind. 
But it's interesting, this phrase, plain to them. Uh, you may have a translation, it's actually more accurate. It, it's plain in them. And when it says plain in them, that's literally a reference to our conscience. So what he's saying is this, it's that inward part of us that says, you know what? I'm looking around old planet Earth here. There's gotta be more to this than just chance. There's gotta be more than this than just eons ago, sometime in history, there was a cataclysmic explosion and bam, accidentally, here we are. Ever had that thought? I think we've all had that thought. And so God, this is what Paul's saying, God put that kind of evidence within every person. But you know what happens? Man ignores the evidence of God. Man suppresses the truth. Man's like, hey, I don't wanna deal with it, right? But not only has he put evidence within us, verse 20 says that the evidence of God is all around us. Look at verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. You know, when we lived in California, there are no stars in California. Lots of lights, no stars, okay? Then we moved to Cary, we saw stars for the first time. Then we moved to Apex, we saw more stars. And then we moved to Holly Springs. There's more stars in Holly Springs. You moved to Fuquay, I'm telling you, there are stars everywhere. And there's nothing like going out in your backyard and looking up at the stars to remind you, you know what, there has to be a designer behind the design. And you know what Paul is saying here? That idea that there has to be a designer behind design, that is, that is as plain to the pygmy in the tropical jungle as it is to a business person in the concrete jungle. So what Paul is saying is this. Since the beginning of time, God has made himself evident to every person, both inwardly and outwardly. It's obvious, it's clear, it's irrefutable, it's unmistakable. And Paul says, since that's the case, God has every right to say in verse 20, that people are without excuse. God says, since I put it in you and around you, you don't have any excuse. I like what one version says. It says, you're without a defense. Paul says, it's right under your nose. It's around us. It's in us. You have to suppress the truth. You have to ignore what exists, what's obvious, if you want to deny the existence of God. David said this in Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of God of his hands. I got to go uh, to Montana this year. One morning I got up, plopped down the couch, got my Bible, looked out, and this was the scene. I want, you, I want you to see, that's what I looked at. Can you honestly look at that and say, wow, that all happened by accident, right? This is what, came, this is what I saw the next morning. <laughs> I think that did happen by accident, but anyway, I, I don't know, right? But seriously. Do you really believe that all of this just happened by chance? I'm telling you, it is utterly impossible. Now, let me say something. I kid about being a dumb old PE major, but I was actually a science minor. And in those days to be a science minor, you had to take everything that a pre-med major had to take. So I took the anatomy and the kinesiology and the biology and the chemistry and the physics. I took all that. Let me just say this. It is utterly impossible scientifically and mathematically that conditions on this earth that are so receptive to life, just an accident. And that's what Paul is offering up as, as evidence. He says, listen, God made it evident within us. He made it evident to us. But see, instead of believing it, man suppresses that information. Man chooses not to believe it. So for, man's gotta come up with, with some other theory, right? Based on human logic. And then man chooses to believe that there was a design without a designer. 
there was a plan, but there never was a planner. And so Paul says here, because of man's decision to suppress it, to ignore it, to deny it, to reject it, he says, guess what, men? You're without excuse. You know what that means? No one will ever be able to stand before God at the judgment, which we're all gonna be at, right? And say, no one told me. You know what God's response will be? I told you. I told you. I put it in you. It was all around you. I told you all about it. But let's go back to that question. How about the people who even gets to that point? There must be a being. There must be a designer, but they never hear the gospel. Let me give you a clear biblical answer. Every person who seeks God will find God. There you go. Every person who seeks God will find God. Let me show you some verses. It's God's promise to every person. It doesn't matter if they live in a tropical jungle or the concrete jungle. If they seek God, they'll find him. Proverbs 8, verse 17. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. Any questions? It's pretty simple. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is my favorite. Acts 17, verse 26. From one man, who's that? Adam. From one man, he made all nations. You know what that means, people? We're all cousins. That's weird when you think you're married to your cousin, but we're all cousins. We all descended from, see, by, by the way, that's why racism is so stupid. We're all descendants of the same man. We're all related. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. Now, this is what's cool. He marked out their appointed times in history. God specifically designed uh, when you decided when you were going to live. Not only that, the boundaries of their lands. He, he decided where you were going to live. You ever wonder why you got to grow up in the United States of America and not in Port-au-Prince, Haiti? Because God designed it that way. Look what it says. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. Literally, the word is grope. And find him, though he is not far from any one of us. I'm telling you, if anybody will just make the effort to find God, he will reveal himself. Do you know why? It's because God's a just God. But not only is he a just God, second, he's a loving God, which brings us back to the question, how could a loving God send somebody to hell? Because he does. I mean, we learned last week that God is gonna send people to hell. However, I did tell you in Isaiah chapter five, I don't have the time, you can read it on your own. God originally did not create hell for people. He originally created hell for the devil and his angels who tried to overthrow him. In fact, Jesus said he cast them down to earth. I think that's when hell was created. But he had to enlarge hell because man made the decision to reject God. But originally it was prepared for the demons and for Satan. I'll show you another verse, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. It says, then he will say to those on his left, this is talking about Jesus, this is the day of judgment, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire. Look, prepared for who? Prepared for the devil and his angels. So understand, God did not initially prepare hell for people. He did prepare heaven, by the way. Jesus says in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you in heaven. But, in rich, but he is gonna send people to hell. Now, let me just say something. If your issue is that God can't exist because people are gonna go to hell, you know what you've proven? All you've proven is that God, the way you would like him to exist, doesn't exist. So you've come up with your own picture of God. You've got a little frame of what God should be like. You've come up with a job description, what he can do, what he can't do, what he should do, what he shouldn't do, what you would like him to do, what you don't want him to do. And then you went searching for that God, you can't find him. 
So you tore up the job description, you tore up the picture, and you decided that God doesn't exist. I want you to know, you're exactly right. That God, the way you created him in your mind, he does not exist. But see, that doesn't mean that the God of the Bible doesn't exist. So you gotta you got keep that in mind. So let's answer the question, how could a loving God send someone to hell? Well, again, remember, the only way to answer a biblical question is with the Bible. So let me give you a biblical answer. We started out by looking at Jeremiah chapter nine, verse 23 and 24. We learned right away that God is a just God. He's a loving God. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only son. So I, I'm not really worried. I'm not that concerned about the pygmies in the rainforest. I'm not really all that concerned about the baby that doesn't reach the age of accountability. I'm not concerned about the people, the person who maybe doesn't have the cognitive skills to figure out the gospel. You know what I just do? I just trust God's character. I just believe that God, I just trust that God is a just God, that he's a loving God. He will sort it all out. I don't lose any sleep over that. You know what I do lose sleep over? It's the people to whom God has revealed himself. Us, inwardly and outwardly, see? But we've chosen, we've chosen to reject the evidence, to suppress the truth. I'm just gonna be honest with you for a second. <clears throat> the real issue with most man, mankind is that, that it's not that I can't trust God because he's gonna let people go to hell. That's not really the issue. In fact, I think that's just a smokescreen. <laughs> I think the reason that most people don't want to be a Christian is they just don't wanna surrender their life to God. That's the issue. It's not that God might send someone to hell. It's just, I, I don't wanna surrender my life. See, that's what you're thinking. Maybe it's out of fear. Maybe it's the unknowns. Maybe it's the what ifs. Maybe it's out of pride. Hey man, I don't submit to anybody or anything. Maybe that's just your attitude. But as a result, you've chosen to reject God. It's, it, it's not that you don't know. You can't plead ignorance. I mean, according to Paul in Romans chapter one, it's inside of us, it's around us. Not only that, hey, I got bad news for you. Now you've heard the gospel. I mean, even if you've never heard it before, now you've heard the gospel. So you are without an excuse. But here's the thing. There are people watching this weekend, and you know what? You're gonna choose to reject God. By the way, you ever been rejected? It hurts, doesn't it? You know what psychiatrists tell us? It's actually the greatest hurt that we experience as humans. It hurts when we get rejected. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think it doesn't hurt God when we reject him? And you know what our problem is? We think of God as some kind of clinical, emotionless, sterile being, but you gotta understand God has emotions. I mean, we know for a fact that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, that we, we know that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. We know that things happen on this earth that anger God. So God has emotions and it hurts him when we reject him. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. Since the beginning of time, think about this. All God has ever wanted was a family. Do you realize that? All God ever wanted was relationships. That's why he created Adam and Eve. I mean, think about this. Adam and Eve didn't have to do anything to get into a relationship with God. They were created in a relationship with God for a relationship with God. Now, they blew it. They blew it and sin came to this earth. We get that, right? By the way, let me just say this. At the end, you know what God gets? Restored relationships. That's all. Not some big power thing. Not big throne, big throne thing to hold it over. All he gets is restored relationships. But this is what's interesting. God knew that if there was gonna be a relationship, we had to have the opportunity to either accept or reject that relationship. And so God said, well, then I gotta create him with free will. You know, he had to create us so that we could have a choice. And because, you know, and, and we understand that. 
Because every one of us, if you're in a relationship, you know that a relationship, you know, can't be forced. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> Have you ever had somebody decide that they wanted to be your best friend? Right? They're texting you, emailing you, you know, calling you all the time. We have word for those people today, stalkers, right? So they want to be your best friend, but you're not sure yet you want to be their best friend. You know, you ever had that happen? And if you're like me, I'm a harmony guy. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, so you kind of feel the pressure to respond. But you're thinking, I'm going to respond. I don't think we really have anything in common, you know. I mean, I, I don't even know if I like him that much. I think he had a Carolina shirt on the other day. You know, this guy's kind of thing, right? But my point is simply this. If there's going to be a real relationship, in that relationship, both people have to freely choose to enter into that relationship. Well, I'm telling you in the same way, for there to be an authentic relationship between man and God, God had to give all of us the opportunity, the choice to either choose to be in that relationship or reject that relationship. And my guess is that when God made that decision, the angels around the heaven were going, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second, God, let's really think this through. Let's really think this through. Because if you give them the freedom to reject you, if you give mankind free will, it is going to cause unimaginable evil. And that's exactly what happened. And as we talked about this weekend, we, we live with the consequences of evil every day of our lives, every aspect of our lives. But in spite of that, God knew God knew that mankind, in spite of the fact that he knew we would abuse this gift of freedom, guess what God did? He gave it to us anyway. You know why? Because God knew that that really was the only way that there could be a relationship. We get that. I mean, let me give you a silly example. You, you don't stand in front of your dishwasher and celebrate when the dishwasher washes the dishes. You know why? It has to. It's a machine, right? But if you got a sink full of dishes, and your husband gets his lazy butt up off the couch and walks in the kitchen and washes him, I'm telling you, you're gonna celebrate, right? You know why? Well, he's got a free will, he's got a choice. In the same way, when somebody loves you who doesn't have to love you, it's meaningful. When someone loves you because they have to love you, it's meaningless. And it's the same way when it comes to our relationship with God. So you have a free will. You get to choose to love God or you can choose to reject God. You can choose to be in a relationship with God or not be in a relationship with God. And so to answer the question, would a loving God send someone to hell? Here's the answer. Unequivocally, no. But I will tell you this. People send themselves to hell every day, every day. So you gotta understand, you have a choice. Think about this. You get to choose where you're gonna spend eternity. You get to choose your eternal destination. That's not God's choice. You get to choose. By the way, for all of you wanna be theologians out there, I'll just throw this in. It is true that God chose us before we chose him. But see, he chose everyone in the world. John 3.16 doesn't say that God so loved the believers. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. I mean, understand, God chooses everyone. But I will tell you this. The only people that are gonna be in heaven 
are the people that choose God. So you have a choice. I began this message by addressing a tough question. How could a loving God send someone to hell? To be honest, that's not really that tough of a question. I mean, seriously, you can answer that question pretty simply from the Bible. Here's the tough question I can't answer. It's how can anyone reject a loving God? For the life of me, I can't wrap my head around that. How could anybody reject a loving God? I want us to bow. God made a way for you. I want you to understand that. The Bible is nothing but an epic pursuit of God's desire to bring mankind back into a relationship with him and he made it possible through Jesus Christ. So forget everybody else. So forget the pygmies, the kids that are, that are born that never live long enough. To, forget all that stuff. What about you? So you, you have a choice. Are you gonna accept God's free gift of salvation or are you going to reject God's free gift of salvation? At the end of the day, that's what it boils down to. If you accept, this is what it means. Right now, you get to experience the abundant life that God designed for you to have through Jesus Christ. Not a perfect life. But as we've worshiped and sung about and talked about this weekend, regardless if you're on the mountaintop or the valley, you know that God has you right where he wants you at that time. In just a couple of weeks, we're gonna say I'm gonna start a series on the life of Elijah. And we're gonna learn that from his life. Just because sometimes the brook run dies doesn't mean God's turned against us. He's got us right where he wants us. Just because he's got us in Zarephath, which means a smelting pot, doesn't mean God's giving up on us. He's got us right where he wants us. God's gonna take you on a journey to conform you to the image of your son. You're gonna get to experience total forgiveness, total acceptance, and total love right now. And then not only that, as a cherry on top, when you die, you'll get to go to heaven to spend all eternity with God. But to reject I'm just gonna be honest with you. You'll walk through this life alone with no sense of purpose or hope. When you die, you will spend all eternity in a place separated from God called hell. And that's what the Bible says. But at the end of the day, it, 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 it's your call, see? Make the right decision. Make the right choice. I'm gonna love you anyway. But for you, make the right choice. And if I could make it for you, I'd make it a million times over. But this is between you and God. Father, thank you. Help us to help people understand that God doesn't send people to hell. If they go there, they'll choose to go there. But they have another option through the gospel. Maybe you be passionate about sharing the gospel. It's the power of God, the dunamis, that changes lives. We thank you for this time we've had together. And Father, again, we pray for healing and restoration. And you know what? For protection. We pray for protection. In your name we pray. In your son's mighty name we pray. Amen.